Hi, welcome back to Coaching for Profit. I'm Maggie Daniel, and I am here with our host, Brandon Moore. Um, you may have noticed we took another little break for the last several weeks because we were in the process of some pretty big and pretty exciting changes around the office. Um, for those of you who have not heard, BCAM PC Certified Public Accountants has merged with Seth and Alexander Associates. Um, they are a firm based out of the city of Houston, but they've got locations now all over the state of Texas and they are virtual based as well. We are pretty excited about this merger because it's gonna offer our clients a lot of new resources and we are excited to see what the future holds for Seth and Alexander. And so I, I did wanna open the floor a little bit to Brandon, if you had any comments or anything to say about, about this change. Yeah, it was a big, big change and a big decision for us. We've had some, you know, staffing issues in the last year. And I knew that in order to attract and, and keep good staff, we would have to do something. And uh, the best option was really uh, joining forces with another firm that has similar values, a similar focus, and uh, could meet the demand and the needs of our, our staff and then and also absorb our, our staff. Um, there are current staff. So um, if you've been using BKM for a while, all the same people are going to be there. Uh, the, the, the ones that have, you know, are still there. We had, we lost a uh, bill. Um, uh, we love him and, and just wish the best for him. He's just been a, he was a, a great asset to our company for uh, the year and a half to almost two years that he was with us, but uh, God called him on to bigger and better things. And we're just excited for him. Uh, but uh, we're also excited for Seth and Alexander. I just see them uh, taking the clients and, and the firm to the next level, and I'm just excited for that. Yeah, it's it's pretty big, and so far it seems like a really great transition. It's only been like 16 days, but uh, <laughs> but it's I think it's going to be good. So we're excited yeah. about that. And so I guess with that kind of, I guess, public service announcement, we can jump into our actual topic for today, which today we're going to be talking about coaching culture and how it differs from maybe different um, ways of doing business. And so I guess I'll let you kind of take the, the reins here, Brandon. Yeah, we're going to talk about the creating a, a coaching culture for you. And that's kind of hard to say. If you tried to say that three times, you'd, you'd mess it up. But um you know, in, in, in comparison to what uh, most businesses used to uh, be strictly a command and control, everything was top down. You, you know, you did what your boss told you to. You, you didn't ask questions. They didn't ask you any for any feedback or any input. And you just went about your business. And, um, you know, that's <clears throat> that can work and it works for a little while. But I, I don't think it's the best way to do business. And I think that, you know, if you don't have a coaching culture to where you're really uh, developing and interacting with your team, then you're missing out on all of their abilities and their skills and their um, uh, impact that they can have on the company. Yeah, I think you definitely see those command and control types of cultures, especially in businesses that have like high turnover and, and employees because people don't feel valued when they're being like just told what to do all the time, especially if they, if you've been somewhere for a long time, you want to start to feel your voice is being heard. And so 
that's where you can run into some pitfalls if you you've implemented that type of command and control for sure. Right. And some of the indicators of a command and control environment are, and I've, I've written some things down here, the, the lack of communication and feedback. Uh, if you only have a, an annual review, if you only talk to your employees once a year, uh, you might have a command and control um, <laughs> culture. And, and um, if everything depends on the leader, if, if, if the leader is making all the decisions and and, it, and the, the whole thing rises and falls with one person, uh, you probably have a command and control uh, environment. Um, if it seems like everything that the, the employee and employer relationship is all about criticism and judgment instead of encouragement, then you probably have a command and control uh, there's a comedian that has the, you might be a redneck. And I think I'm, I'm kind of. <laughs> it's a uh, similar cadence. His, his, uh, uh, his uh, stand up. So the last thing is if you're always focused on projects and, and, and instead of focusing on leadership development with your team, then, then you probably have a command and control environment. And so let's, let's get into what makes uh, a coaching environment, uh, a coaching culture. So um, first is your focus on your vision. Now, I've written in my book and I've, I've told other people, I think on the, the podcast, that your vision includes your, your values, your mission statement, your reason why, your purpose, and then your goals, your uh, BHAGs, your big, hairy, audacious goals. Where are you taking? Where are you going to go? And so that's your your overall overall vision. And if you if you are focusing on projects, if you're focusing on revenue numbers, if you're focusing on uh, pushing sales, then one your your team isn't going to be able to get on board because nobody wants to get on board with a company that uh, it's all about uh, making the owners rich. Nobody, you can't get your employees and your team members. Maggie, were you ever excited about making me wealthy? It <laughs> didn't ever even cross my mind, Brandon. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't see how that's, uh, you know, you know, we think, we laugh at that, you know, we laugh at it. But for years, you know, that's how leaders go to these meetings, annual meetings, and they talk about, hey, we did this, we did that, our shareholders did this, and the employees are like, great. Um Cool. What's in it for me? Does that mean I get a bonus? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that with a, when you're focusing on vision with a, a, you know, within a coaching environment, your team members, uh, you value your team members. Uh, because if you meet with them and are, are trying to help them become a better professional, that, that shows them you value them. And, uh, it also shows that you're investing in them. Yeah. I think that um, when you're, when you come into your employee meetings and you're focusing on vision, as opposed to, you know, those projects, and that's not to say that talking about your, your project goals and your sales goals, isn't something that you should just ignore. Right. Especially yeah. if you're in a sales company, you have to actually have those conversations, but the conversation shouldn't be pointed there it should be pointed at your vision and how you get to those goals versus like through through that um i guess landscape is through right. through that 
through that point of view. And I think you can see like really companies that are thriving today, they're all working under this. We're going to focus on our vision, mission, then our goals all at once through their employees. Um, I can think of a good example, which is where my husband works at Time Clock. He works at TCP. And I know that that's their big focus is making sure that the employees feel their vision and their the employees feel their mission. Um, and then the employees goals turn into the company goals because that's just how that works. And you can feel their values whenever you walk in through into the building through each employee, not just, you know, from a sign on the wall. So, yeah. and you know, when, when you align your employees goals, cause with the company's goals. So, you know, when I was coaching our staff and, and talking to each individual, you know, I wanted to know what they wanted to be when they grow up. I wanted to know what their professional dreams were. And then, you know, how do I, as their employer, help them reach those goals? Because when when I tap into that, then those goals become aligned with my company's goals because them becoming a better professional or them becoming who they want to be, be makes my company better. Yeah. And so you definitely want to focus and, va and, and value your team members and then help align their goals with the vision and mission and values of the company. Yeah, absolutely. The second area, you know, the second way to help create a coaching culture um, and is increasing the number of meetings um, with your staff. And I know that, that, that uh, you know, there's a book called Death by Meeting and uh, it, it, at first, it seems like, you know, the meeting is the worst thing in the world. You, everybody dreads it. And they do in the book. They they talk about how meetings, you know, why are we going to a meeting that could have just been an email? <laughs> you right. Know, that's, that's the worst is when you get to this meeting and all it is is just a list of things, bullet points that somebody could have sent an email. That is a complete waste of time. Um, but if you, if like I said before, if you only meet with your staff once a year, you know, you're, you're not creating a, a, what I like to call a feedback loop. You're not, you're not creating that place where it's a constant ability to see, okay, does the employee have anything to say? Am I doing something? Is the, is the company going in a direction or do they see something in the company that might not fit our values? Um, when you trust your employees and you have these, these regular meetings with them, instead of just once a year, if you, we went from having annual meetings to quarterly individual. And then I realized that it's just not enough. I, I, I went to then a monthly meeting just so that I can stay in contact, especially in a virtual environment. If your company is moving like we did to a virtual environment, uh, you definitely have to increase the number of meetings just so people feel connected. Yeah. And I was going to say it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, it's impossible to see the red flags that are coming up with individual people um, in those big group type settings. And what I mean by red flags, I mean like indicators that maybe someone's struggling either with their workload or with meeting their requirements, but also maybe if they're not 
feeling aligned with the vision and mission anymore. You can't see those in a group setting. So if you're having, you know, weekly check-in meetings with your staff that are mostly project focused, or even um, a semi-annual staff meeting where you come together in person and meet, it's impossible to see those red flags and see what's going on with that individual person if you're not meeting with them individually and chatting and, and having that feedback loop where you're talking about that. And in leadership, it's easy to focus on what you would consider red flags when it comes to the company. So like what's going wrong with us from, from the leadership's perspective, but you can find more of them when you're talking with your staff, because they're the ones who are in the day-to-day. They're the ones who are having those conversations with your clients and customers. They're the ones who are moving, moving, they're the moving parts of your company. And so they can bring you a new perspective as well. And so that's why I think you call it a loop is because sure it's a development meeting for your staff, but it's going to be, end up being a development meeting for you as well. Each time you meet. Definitely as a leader, you, you want that feedback, not just to know how you're, your employees are doing your staff, your team members, but also how the company's doing. And, and if it actually is, uh, you can say that you have a value of family first, but if your employees feel like they never see their family, uh, you're not, you're not um, displaying that value to them. And there have been several times uh, that in the, those monthly coaching meetings where we talk, we talk about personal things. Where I've, I've talked to, you know, an employee and or a team member and and they're not doing well. You know, something something is dragging them down. Something personal has happened. And, you know, you know, I don't I don't limit those meetings just to business stuff. I'm not a counselor. I don't pretend to be. But I do, you know, want to encourage them. I want to help them and, and maybe point them in the direction to find a counselor or somebody that can help or, um, you know, one person was, was, you know, because we went virtual, they weren't interacting with enough people during the week. And I re- recommended, Hey, why don't you start a, start a class at the gym? And that way it's not, you're just not just going to the gym by yourself, but you're going to the gym in a class where you're meeting with people and it, it'll fulfill that, that need for interaction that we don't get at the company anymore. Cause we don't have, we, you know, everybody works from home now. Yeah. I have a kind of an example of when, when, when you're using that command and control um, kind of tactic instead of this coaching culture and how it can go wrong. And the reason I'm explaining this is because I think that you may not like we may not like this example and maybe we want to cut it out later. And so we'll just go from there. I'm not going to use any names or anything like that, but I know that um, a few years back we have at our firm, we had a manager who couldn't let go of the command and control. They were, you know, focused on focusing on projects, you know, I'm going to assign this out. You're going to get it done. And we're not really going to talk about anything else. And they weren't really engaging in those monthly meetings the way that they were supposed to be managed like engaging in those monthly meetings and because of that one of the employees that fell underneath that kind of scope was struggling with some things personally like um sleep deprivation that kind of thing and nobody knew that they were having these issues and so they weren't meeting their productivity um expectations and 
from the outside looking into management, because we didn't know, obviously, that this um, command and control um, environment was happening as because we had intended for it to be the coaching culture. Um, From management's point of view, it looked like this particular employee was lazy and that they weren't doing their job. And that might have been a little true, too. But there was also another aspect that we had no idea about and didn't know until it was too late. And so um, because at that point, it was way it was more than just that problem. There was other problems as well there. But if that could have been caught caught early, maybe those other problems wouldn't have. And I can't say that because I don't see into the future and I can't go back and make that change. But um, that's really where you can see the difference. Yeah, under a coaching culture, it might have been addressed. It might have been, right. you know, it might have been fixed. And the opportunity is definitely there. Which, right. you know, it, it takes a while for, for a culture to be developed. It has to, you know, it starts with the leader, the, the, the executive team, and they have to demonstrate, they have to show it in their coaching meetings. And then then that's when those managers can take it to their direct reports. And then, but it, you know, it, it's not going to be learned in the first month when we implemented the the coaching monthly, you know, the, the managers didn't know necessarily what, what to do during those meetings or why it was important. Right. And so it just, it it will take a while to shift and make all of this work, but the, 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 the end result is worth it. Right. It's a team that is together. It's a team that knows you care about them. It's a team that that will give their time and effort and sweat uh, for not not for the company necessarily, but for you. Yeah. Uh, for their managers, for their 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 cohorts, the people around them. Yeah. It's just so important to have those meetings and get that started. And because, like you said, changing a culture in your office doesn't happen overnight just like when you 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 know you implement a new vision that vision isn't going to be seen in your company until it's there right it takes a while it takes it takes time um so let's move on to the next section of of creating a culture coaching culture like i said it's hard to say that um you know once you're having these meetings and you're having them in the right way um you know, helping to align and, and develop the leaders and develop your team members into leaders and develop them, you know, individually. Um, one of the, the ways that we develop our staff is, is help them with awareness and responsibility. Um, in, during those meetings, it's not, and here, here's a great example of awareness and responsibility. Okay, you, you are in a, a staff meeting and and for some reason, your team needs a ladder. And so you tell one of the team members, hey, hey, Jerry, I, there, I, there's a ladder in the supply closet on the third floor. Can you go bring, go get that and bring that to me? Okay, so Larry goes and he, he goes to the third floor. There's no ladder there. So what does he do? Well, because you had a command and control attitude, you told him what to do. He went. He couldn't do it. And so what does he do? He comes right back without a ladder. All right. So awareness says, okay, this is the goal that we're trying to achieve. We need a ladder. Is there anybody 
that knows where a ladder is. And so Jerry raises his hand. Hey, I think on the third floor, I saw a ladder in the supply closet. Jerry goes to the third floor. There is no ladder. He doesn't come back, though, and say without the ladder and say there's no ladder there because he's been made aware that, of what the goal was is to find the ladder. And so now he goes and he searches two other storerooms and finds the ladder and comes back and brings the ladder to me. The difference between that command and control was, is you didn't let the employee or the staff member think for themselves. Hmm. You didn't let them use their talents and skills and abilities. You told them what to do. You told them how it was going to be done. You told them if you step back and say, okay, instead of me give, dictating to all my staff, how, what do we do? We say, this is the vision. This is what we want to accomplish. Now, how do we do that? So you're telling me that's how I can help Zach find my keys when I try to direct him where they are. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. You tell him what the need the is. The goal is, I need my keys for this reason. Can right. you help me find them? And instead of saying, my keys are on the dresser, go grab them. And then when they're not on the dresser, they're on the bed. He can still right. find them probably. That's I see. Right. I got it. He knows the goal instead of going to the spot and coming back there. See, it's helping. It's business, personal. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, when I when I first discovered this, this process, it just really helped me a lot because, you know, I'm the kind of person that, that likes to do things a certain way. I don't know if. You know that, Maggie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, you know, I have my way of doing things. And for a long time, you know, it frustrated me when people wanted to do things a different way. And then I realized, and I think I even told you there at one of our semi-annual meetings, you know, I, I started uh, the meeting with a quote from uh, Craig Rochelle, you can have control or you can grow. Mm -hmm. You can't do both. And when you realize, okay, control means that I dictate every little thing. Growth, real, growth means that we have a vision, we have a goal, and I'm letting my team members dictate how are we going to get there. Now, I may use my experience to ask questions to see if, and to help them see some of the pitfalls or some of the, the challenges that they may you know, incur doing it one way or another, but I don't want to tell them, okay, it's my way or the highway. I want, I want to know the best way. And I may not know the best way. Yeah. I do remember that. And I, it's pretty incredible when you can see the difference that that makes with your staff, because when you're in the command and control environment, if someone has a good idea about how things should probably be working, then they may not say anything unless there's someone like me who <laughs> is like, no, this is better. We're going to do this. You know, maybe I'll have a little bit of command and control issues that, <laughs> that had, but, but then you have staff that maybe wouldn't normally say something who will come up and say, well, since we're talking about it, since this conversation is here, since this dialogue has been opened, I noticed this 
maybe this adjustment could happen. And and that's where you see the real growth in your company is when when more voices are being heard and those perspectives are being taken into consideration. Yeah, one of the biggest um, changes in our company was when we decided to have those semi-annual meetings where we all got together and we talked about, you know, what works and what different didn't. And then um, it was a huge, huge thing for me to have a two review cycle and process. I don't know if you remember, but it's, yes. it's been a while that we decided you know, after having that conversation with everybody and realizing, okay, that for me was <clears throat> personal preference. It wasn't, it wasn't in line with our goal and our mission. It was a preference item, not a deal breaker of you necessity. Know, it wasn't needed to give the same level of uh, expertise and in value to the client. And that's all right. that's, if we're not adding value, why, why are we doing it? You know, mm -hmm. and that was the question, does this add value? And after that discussion, you know, we just, it doesn't. And so, you know, and it was hard for me personally to release that. Um, but then I just saw how, how huge it was for our company and our processes and how our speed and our accuracy went up and the, just the process uh, just made a huge difference. Yeah. So um, now, you know, we still, it's, it's not that we did away with a second review, but we, we only use it for when the staff, the team members believe it's necessary. Right. And so it really doesn't, it, that adds value. Um, and, but just having a blanket um, second review just didn't. And so all that to say, it was a huge change that was made because we just opened it up to everybody to, and, and we just wanted to be aware of, you know, our vision, our process, but um, I left it to the staff to decide the how and let them think for themselves. And we came up with a process that actually worked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the responsibility part is when when employees talk talk about or realize that or your team members have uh, that instead of a set of tasks that they do that they have it's they have responsibility and I think that really helps with with staff believing that they're needed that they yeah. feel that they have value they have worth for the company uh, because if if they don't get this done you know it doesn't get done or you know, I have value because these are my responsibilities um, that I've agreed to and, and uh, that they've entrusted me with. Yeah. And I think it's important to bring up that some of that responsibility, like you're talking about the employees gaining this sense of responsibility through these coaching meetings. And and that's true. That's what happens. But there are some employees that like just naturally have a sense of responsibility for their work. And I'm sure if you don't haven't already implemented this coaching culture, that you know that the staff of yours that have this sense of responsibility outperform and out, um, I guess, or bring the, yeah, I guess that's the right word, outperform your staff members who don't. It, it, because that's that's what's pushing them to do their, their work is 
to be, because they feel a sense of responsibility. I know that um, there was a few people on our staff when we were still with the CPA firm who just had this like great sense of responsibility for our clients and they always delivered excellent service and excellent customer conversations and relationships with their customers and their clients because they felt responsible for those particular sets of people and they would just always just deliver just great product to those clients because they really felt responsible for them and so bringing that as a purpose for your coaching culture and implementing these kind of um, things into your daily work life is just going to make sure you raise all of the staff that maybe don't have that natural sense of responsibility, which that doesn't mean that they're bad people or anything like that. It just doesn't come naturally and helping them to get there is obviously going to help meet their goals and and meet meet the company standards. That's where the awareness, you know, awareness helps the employee realize that it is their responsibility. You know, when they see where, you know, they, they have challenges, they can see that it's their responsibility to meet those challenges. Um, You know, I went to play golf one time with a, a, a financial advisor and a potential client. And, you know, I told him, I said, one of the things that I lose sleep over is this, this, and this, that my clients aren't doing. And, and he looked at me, he's like, the potential client looked at me and said, I don't think my CPA loses any sleep over me. <laughs> like, sad. Well, you know, that, that is sad. Now I'm not going to, you know, you know, uh, sulk and be in, de- de- be depressed about some, you know, problems that my clients are having, but it, it does mean something. It's important to me. My clients are my friends and um, those relationships matter. Um, that's why this this transition between us and Seth and Seth and Alexander is was a difficult transition for me personally, but it's also um, necessary. I know that in order for them to be properly taken care of, properly uh, served, that we needed to make it. We needed to make this change to 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 uh, add their resources to rely on their expertise and and. Uh, um, staff and so uh, because I care is why we've we've made this change because we care for them so much um, so moving on because we, we're getting a lot along in the the is is the the next the part of the coaching meetings that that are important are you know your listening skills uh, asking probing questions and then your your next steps, which which way forward from here. Um, so, you know, first of all, you know, your listening skills as a leader, as the coach in this scenario. Now, there's lots of types of coaching. I should probably have said this at the beginning, but you know, we have executive coaching, business coaching. The kind of coaching that we're talking about is this co- coaching culture within an organization to where you are not. Um, leading by the command and control environment, but it really developing and, and working instead of on what your employees are going to be doing to what your employees are becoming. We want them to become professionals. We want them to become the best version of themselves. So in these meetings, we want to have really good listening skills. Um, so what are some listening skills that, that uh, are important to you? Um, 
it's funny because the ones that are the most important to me are the ones that I'm the worst at personally. <laughs> um, but it's really important to me when I have some, well, actually, I guess I'm not the worst at this particular one, but I guess the first one is like eye contact, like having eye contact when someone's talking and I am the worst because I'm always thinking about like everything is I, I feel like I'm listening and then I might look away and that I know that that's a, a bad listening skill, but that's one that's really important. But one that I think probably is my number one um, imp important listening skill is hearing um, either like a repeating back or a statement back that lets me know that the person that was listening understood what I said. Yes. I hate, I hate being in a conversation where I'm just talking and then either the person moves on to the next part of the discussion or just doesn't respond at all. And did you hear me or did you understand right. what I said? And um, I've brought Zach up several times in this conversation, but we have this conversation all the time where I'm like, I need you to let me know that you understood me. Even if you have nothing to say in response, I need to know that you understood what I said. And that's, I guess that's probably the number one for me. Yeah, the the repeating back is 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 really important. It's not something you have to do every time, but maybe once or twice during a, a meeting. Just you just you know, I like to do at the end of the, a meeting with some clients is do a summary of what we talked about, and just tell them, uh, you know, what we talked about, what we decided on, and and see if they if if that's the same as what they understood. Uh, that repeating back can happen in that summary form or it can say, okay, they make a statement. And then you say, I just want to be clear. You said this, this, and this. Is, is that correct? And if that is, then you say, okay, please go on. Um, eye contact. I um, Almost every office that I, I have, I have that, that I've met with clients, I have a separate area in my office where I meet with clients. It's not behind my desk. I rarely <clears throat> meet with clients behind my desk. You can see my desk, but my home office is, is smaller, so I don't have the same amount of space, but I have a work area that I'm looking at. And if I'm meeting with people, which is not often here, I would turn around and I'd be away from my computer, away from the electronics, and I can make that eye contact. Yeah. And I can see my first office on First Street I had a little round table with two chairs that was about five feet away from my desk. I would get up from my desk, put my phone in the drawer or on, on top of the desk, leave it behind, leave my computer. I could not see my computer screens, walk over to the desk, and I'm fully engaged with that person. I got that from one of my uh, pastors who he used to tell, tell us all the time that he was he was not good about the staying in the moment mm. and of course for a pastor when somebody comes in it's a different relationship right um, but you know even for um, client relationships you want to make sure that you're engaged in the moment with that person and not um, still working on your you know typing on your computer or looking at your screen you know those screens can be such a distraction and, and people notice um, I went to a, a meeting one time where all I had to take notes was my phone. And I, and I told the guy that, that I was meeting with, I'm, I'm taking notes on my phone. I'm not texting. 
I'm not surfing. I'm not looking at Facebook. I'm taking notes on my phone. I just want to let you know, I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm not paying attention. Even though I said that, I could tell he was uncomfortable. I could yeah. tell just the sight of somebody punching into their phone, whether I told them I was taking notes, it, it means something different. It means I'm not paying attention to you. Right. And I think that's what, that's what I meant earlier is that I'm the worst about not staying in the moment. And I, I guess easily distracted and um, I'm trying to be better about it, but this, the watch, it makes it oh. hard because even on silent, you get a little on yeah. your, on your wrist and it could be an, a non notification, but if I feel this, I can't help but glance right. and it's, it's, what does that tell what does that tell people? Even though we know that these are smart devices. What does right. That tell it's people? like, oh, I'm checking the time. You're taking up too much of my time. Right. That's what it looks like. And, and it's it, something it, else to do. And that's <laughs> it's hard. That's, yeah. That's that's something that I worked on and, and and still working on is you know, ignoring it, just ignoring the watch. You know, if it is an issue for you, take it off. Put it back on. And you know, after the meeting, put it back on. It's okay. Yeah. Um, or just go to an analog watch. I don't <laughs> yeah. think I'll ever do that, but <laughs> you yeah, can. it's like, why would I use an analog watch when I could have one that just offers so much more? Um, for anyways, that's all. Another about. another uh, listening skill is taking notes. And I said, you know, I mentioned about taking notes on my phone, and that's not the best way. Uh, typing on a computer is not the best way. The best way, no hands down, that makes the person feel like you are listening to them is paper notes. Yeah. You know, or, you know, remarkable, it has a, a, a real good live pen and paper feel. Uh, even a tablet that's set up as a, as a note-taking device. Those are dangerous because they give notifications too. Right. Well, I was going to say that, you know, we kind of talked about that a lot of companies are moving to virtual um, settings as opposed to um, in person. And so when you're having these one-on-one -on -one meetings with your clients to create this culture that we're talking about, they might not be able to see you writing notes. And so a, a good tool might be um, there are softwares out there that you can kind of track these kind of one-on-one -on -one meetings with. And um, I'm not going to list a few because I'm not sponsored by any of them. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> there are some where you can have like shared notes where you can take notes where the person that you're meeting with can see what you're writing down. And if you need to write like personal notes that maybe you don't want that employee seeing, there are sections for your private notes that aren't part of that shared screen, but they can see you still taking those notes. And yes, it's on your computer, but since it's virtual, that added value of them being able to see the notes that you're taking so they know this is what we talked about. This is this is what the value of this meeting was, is right there. And they can see those notes and you can go back and reference them too. And again, there's spots for private notes if necessary too, yeah. for on most of those platforms. Yeah, so um, those are all really good uh, ways to make sure that <clears throat> the person that you're talking to feels like you're engaging with them, you're listening, you're taking good notes. Um, you know, eye contact, repeating back to them. There's one we didn't mention yet, and it's mirroring. And it is something that you can do in uh, a face-to-face -face format, not necessarily Zoom, is where the, the person that you're talking to is, if they're leaning back, that you lean back. If they're crossing their legs, you cross their legs to a point. 
Uh, if they're crossing their arms, that tells you that they're not they're not open to what you're saying. You want to remain open in an open posture so that they can they'll feel hopefully that they'll be drawn into that open posture instead of um, being pushed away by the crossed arms. But those are all great ways to to uh, show the listener, show your team member that you're listening. The, the next thing is talking about your, is asking probing questions. These are, and I tell people all the time that, you know, as a coach, I'm a, a good listener and ask good questions. Um, you know, when it's easy for a leader, especially somebody with a lot of experience to talk the whole time. And unfortunately, that's not really good for the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself in that, um, that sort of pitfall when it comes to like coaching meetings. I know that when I was having mine with my team, if things got awkward or maybe if I felt like that person wasn't opening up and wanting to have the discussion, I would fill the void with chatting instead of filling the void with maybe asking the right questions. And because that's my nervous habit is to just talk because I can talk about anything all day long if I want to. And so I, that's what I, that was something that I had to kind of work on because we wanted to have this coaching, coaching culture and we wanted to have that open dialogue, but it's not an open dialogue. If I'm just chatting, it needs to be the right questions instead. You know, some of the things that you can do in, in your questions is, is avoiding the, the criticism questions. Uh, because criticism kills relationships. It's the it's the worst. Um, and being somebody who who came from a critical family, who grew up, if you look, read my book, I apologize to everybody uh, who knew me for the first 40 years of my life. And um, uh, even now, I still work on, you know, tr- doing my best to not be critical, uh, especially with my kids and family. It is you know, it, and you don't even notice it sometimes. You ask a question and then you play it back in your mind later and you're like, oh my gosh, that was so judgmental. You know, mm-hmm. there's so, so much, I guess what the, the new, the woke crowd calls the microaggression. Uh, I'm not going to go that far and comment on that, but it is a, you know, there are some questions if you, if you use the word why, like if I say, you know, why did you do this? What does that sound like to you that you're in trouble? <laughs> yeah, sounds like you're so dumb for making that decision. Why would you do that? You know, anytime you have the question, you use the, the word why in a question. No, there is a, there are times for the use of the word why. Uh, there's, a, there's a tool that we use of five whys to get to the bottom of, but that's when I, I inform the person that I'm using that question on is that we're going we're gonna to use this tool it's not judgmental or critical. It's a tool to discover. Uh, but in a coaching environment, if you start saying, why did you do this? Why did you say that? Why do you think that? It's, it can be it can come across as very critical. Um, so what are some other ways that you could ask the question? That's, that's you know, using the words what or how or uh, those are those are you know, the ways that you can frame questions that will, they'll get uh, answers. It'll get the person that you're talking to, uh, to think. And that's what you're hoping for is yeah. you're, you're hoping for a discussion. 
Yeah. And so I think also asking questions like, instead of why, but tell me how you got to that decision, which is the how, but, but, but instead of just saying, how did you get to that decision? Because that can even come across as maybe a little critical is maybe asking to, for the person to walk you through that decision-making process or walk me through how we got here and tell me, tell me what led to this situation. And then that could kind of help. Um, those are those are fantastic phrases that 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 engage curiosity, and and that's part of the the the, the probing questions uh, starts with curiosity, and not judgment. You're curious. You're 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 wanting to help them help the coachee become aware, right? And so awareness comes from well. Okay, you did this, this, and this, or you said that to Susan and it, it upset her. Well, what was the, what was, we didn't think, we don't think that you wanted to be judgmental or you wanted to be angry with Susan. What were you trying to accomplish in that meeting? Or what was the, what were the next steps that you thought were going to happen after, you know, that discussion? Or where were you trying to lead that discussion? You know, just, curious questions to find out, you know, to help the, the coachee discover uh, and become aware. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, that probing questions are not is leading questions, especially with a leader who, who thinks that they know all the answers. And you're, you're trying to lead them to what you think is the truth or what you think they should know or what you think uh, if you come in there with that agenda uh, it's not going to be it's basically it's basically the command and control environment disguised as the coaching environment is what that is yeah which is manipulation right nobody likes to be manipulated it is it it can cause a lot of fury and rage uh, to some people when they just feel like they've been manipulated and you do not want that. Uh, if you, you know, if you really care and are concerned about the person, you might say, you know, I think I have, you know, I think I know the answer. I want to know what you think about this. Or I think, you know, it, can I suggest this was the reason and tell me what you think about that. Those are good. Those bring about discussion. Right. Um, but you definitely don't want to lead, ha- ask leading questions to what you think. And I was in a, in a situation where I was with a client. And I knew the reason that they were going, they were having trouble. Their business was hurting. I thought I did. Uh, and I was trying to position my questions so that they would discover what I thought was the truth. And all I got back was defensiveness and anger and frustration. And it was it, because I had an agenda and I realized after that conversation, okay, I went in there with the wrong attitude completely. I was not coaching them at all. I was, I was trying to, to be the know-it-all um, instead of, and there's no indication that I, I and the truth is I may not have been wrong. But that's not, you know, um, it is evident to other people when you're manipulating. 
Yeah. It's evident to other people when you're leading. And so it just puts a bad taste in people's mouths and, and, and makes the conversation, uh, ruins the conversation, ruins the curiosity, ruins the encouragement that you're trying to do. Uh, ruins the relationship. Ruins the relationship. Right. So the last thing that uh, in a coaching conversation, uh, because within an organization, creating a coaching culture, you want to have regular meetings. It's not, we talked about this before, you just don't have the one annual or even quarterly. And it doesn't have to be monthly. It could be every eight weeks. It could be every, you know, nine weeks, you know, like, uh, or six weeks, like the school systems, whatever your duration, but it should be regular meetings. And so at the end of each meeting, because you want to progress towards the goals that the coachee has told you, you want to create some action steps and next steps, right? So um, that goes back to our focus on vision, our, our, our values, our mission, and our goals. <clears throat> what do I, what, what do, uh, what do we usually use for that uh, that next steps? What? How now? Where? Where? Yeah. I have it backwards. Now, it's now where how? Now where how? <laughs> I know the words. Wrong yeah. order. So um, just about every every uh, coaching meeting, we I use the now where how. Uh, I have some worksheets that I use that. Um, have where we are now in the top left and what where we want to be in the top right. And then there's a little space in the middle for notes on the discussion about how we're going to get there. And then the last bottom page, you know, or the next steps. What are we going to do next? Who's going to who's going to do it? If you're meeting with a group, you want to know who's who's in charge. Um, coaching can happen individually and it should happen within an organization individually. But coaching can also happen in a group. You can have your, like we had our, our manager meetings every other week. And that was kind of a group coaching effort to where we were, we had a goal and we're trying to figure out what's the best way to get to that goal, bring up issues that happened. And then we had next steps at the end of every, every meeting. And that's that, that last portion is so important. Yeah. And I think without it, the whole system kind of falls apart because if you leave that coaching meeting if you leave that development meeting without talking about what your next steps are then you have nowhere to start next time and so then that conversation just eventually stops it, it yeah. the conversation eventually is not there and again with these coaching cultures it's all about the conversation it's all about that development um, developing your staff developing whoever it is that you're meeting with and then moving towards those vision your vision and your values and if you're not having those conversations, then nothing's happening and you can't have those conversations without next steps. And so it's really easy to end a meeting and say, you know what, we're good, right? We're good. And I feel good about that. But then where do you start next time? Yeah. You've cut off the conversation without meaning to. Yeah. And sometimes the, the next steps are homework. <clears throat> you know, you might assign somebody, hey, we, we talked about your goals, but you said you didn't have any. So the next steps, the thing I want to, I want for the next meeting, write down, you know, do a mind map, 
throw some goals out there, the potential goals, circle the, the th top three that you think are going to be the most important to you. And then, you know, what you're going to do to get there. And so <clears throat> bring that to our next meeting. Just, you know, whatever next steps that you have in a coaching meeting should, like you say, if you don't have those next steps, you have nowhere to start, nowhere to begin in the next meeting. And it, and it just ends up being a, a, um, a spiraling funnel to nothing. You don't want that. Your, your whole point and the whole point of having a coaching culture is coaching people to become the best version of themselves. And so let's let's continue pushing and moving towards that. And it, it's at everyone's pace. You know, you don't you don't set a pace, you know, for a tortoise the same that you do with a, a rabbit. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you have to set a pace. You have to set those parameters, those next steps, or, you know, you'll just be stagnant. The, the person will be stagnant and your organization then be, will become stagnant. Exactly. All right. Well, that's about the about it on creating a coaching culture. I hope this will help. Uh, just to recap, you know, it's it's always focused. The coaching culture is focused on your vision, which are your values, your mission, and your goals. Uh, you need to increase the number of meetings with your staff and your team members if you really want to develop them. Regular meetings are are, are mandatory. You have to have those regular meetings during well, those. Increase purposeful meetings. Is Increase purposeful meetings, not the meetings that could be emails. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you want to raise awareness and responsibility within those coaching those coaching meetings. That's the the main goal of every coaching meeting is to raise awareness and responsibility uh, during the meetings. Have you know work on your listening skills. Ask probing questions, not leading questions. You don't want to. You're curious, not manipulative. And then always end the meetings with action steps, next steps, which way forward from here, uh, what's, what do we do, what's next uh, that we can focus on in the next meeting. So uh, again, I'm, I'm Brandon. I'm really happy that you guys joined this Coaching for Profit, where we believe that coaching or that profit is your potential minus your barriers. Maggie, you have anything left? I don't, I guess just... Um follow us. We are now at a new website. So you can find us at www.brandonkmore.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at um, it's Brandon's Twitter. You can just search for Brandon K. Moore and Instagram for Brandon K. Moore. And you can kind of keep up with what's next for Brandon. And um, hopefully I'll be uh, writing some more books, um, having some good coaching meetings with, uh, with, with friends and clients. Uh, don't really know. I'm going to be praying about what, what our next steps are. Me too. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Brandon.